Okay, let's, uh, our Valley of Vision, our prayer for the morning. And if you don't have the Valley of Vision, uh, you should get a copy of it, probably the leather-bound edition. It's a beautiful collection of, of prayers and devotionals. So let's unite our, our hearts and our minds as we come before the Lord using fourth-day morning, true Christianity, for our morning prayer. Lord of heaven, your goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, you are almighty. In the dispensations of providence, you are all wise. And in the gospel of grace, you are all love. And in your Son, you provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. And though exposed to the terrors of your law, we have a refuge from the storm. And though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests but a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who fail to go far in faith, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence, but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, and our knowledge of him. Give us faith that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the Holy Spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Um, before we get to the, the material at hand, we're on the Wednesday, June 21st morning session, one rigor, rest, and refreshment. Um, just just a, a, a one comment, brother, uh, Pastor Wagner mentioned something, he was an English major, and, and, and I appreciated that. Um, when, when I'm uh, making some corrections to Bunyan, I don't want you to get the impression that you're reading something that is theologically full of holes. Uh, John Bunyan, they said that John Bunyan knew his Bible so well that he bled Bibline. And in, in, in fully 95% of what you're going to read in Pilgrim's Progress, there's a masterful illustration of things of the Christian life. And, and here's the point. John Bunyan, folks, in, in Pilgrim's Progress is not Louis Burkhoff in Reformed Dogmatics, okay? It's not a, it's not a systematic theology. It's an allegory. And, and so it's, it's not, we, we don't get our theology out of that first, but it is an exposition of the Christian life. And I don't want any of the comments that I've made about Bunyan uh, to in any way damper your um, ardor to read Pilgrim's Progress. And, and, and really, um, none of the other versions, A Dangerous Journeys, the picture's neat, the theology's kind of almost vacant there. Um, Helen Taylor's uh, Pilgrim's Progress for Children, we've, we use that with our children. Um, it, it's, it's very, very, um, uh, it's a highly expurgated version of, of Pilgrim's Progress, but good introduction. There really is no substitute for the, um, at least an English, uh, modern English translation of Pilgrim's Progress. And then the other comment before we begin, because our material today, in the morning uh, is going to bring us to some of our basics about the Reformed faith, about, about the Lord's Day, for example, and about worship. 
And I want to encourage all of you um, that, that these theological distinctives that we hold, things like the covenant and, and, the, and, the, uh, and the Sabbath day and the principle of the Sabbath and, and the doctrine of the church, these, these are things, don't keep them in a, a cold cave, okay? Uh, let your theology come out in the bright sunlight in the air, uh, maybe a little bit more humidity than we have up here in the mountain, but let your theology be aerated, and you will find that as we minister in our culture, some of these things that we unfortunately take for granted are the very, very things that our culture needs. It's not something in the evangelical diet, and they're feeling that in the three areas in particular. One is the doctrine of the covenant that we've been in one way or another developing. Uh, you cannot live in a fragmented culture for too long in which people's community happens to be their earbuds. People need fellowship, they need community, and there's a need for intergenerational fellowship like you have here. And so our doctrine of the covenant and the outworking of it is very important. Our view of the Sabbath, as you're going to find today, it's amazing that evangelicals who long since ditched a doctrinal commitment to the Sabbath are in many cases coming to realize that the Sabbath is, as it's meant to be, one of the greatest mercies for the Christian life. And where the OPC is probably the only denomination that still really tries to honor the Lord's Day Sabbath the way we should. That's important. And the last one is the doctrine of the church. Um, America is, America is, is drowning in its sea of individualism. And again, as our culture becomes fragmented, as, 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 as people are really crying for community, uh, a biblical doctrine of the church, and again, a church is not uh, a bunch of monks in a cave, okay? Uh, these are people that function even as you do in the, in the full sunlight of life, enjoy one another. Tremendous testimony to our culture. And we're going to touch on some of those things today. Okay, Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Notice, notice the context here. This is, this is the God-man, and he is, to say the least, busy, okay? And in Luke chapter 5, we're actually beginning at verse 15, the report about Jesus goes abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And this is the Lord whose public ministry was about three and a half years. He had a lot of work to do in those three and a half years. And so you'd think that the next text would be, given the great crowds and the amount of work before him, the Lord Jesus worked even harder. But that's not what it says. In light of this busyness, we read that he would, and the, and the word withdraw means to regularly withdraw yourself. He didn't retreat. This is another one of my pet peeves. Retreat, brothers and sisters, is a Roman Catholic concept of spiritual growth. I utterly abominate that title used in our circles. The term is strategic withdrawals, and that's biblical. 
he would regularly withdraw himself to desolate places and to pray. Pilgrim's Progress, and you'll see the reason for this in just a moment. We come in Pilgrim's Progress. Christian now is with formalist and hypocrisy. They all, the three of them, continued on till they came to the foot of a hill, at the bottom of which was a spring. At the same place, two other ways joined with the straight way coming from the wicket gate, one turned to the left hand and the other to the right at the bottom of the hill. However, the narrow way continued straight up the hill, its name being difficulty. And here's hill difficulty over here. A formalist in hypocrisy uh, don't like taking the narrow way, going up the hill. Uh, they take another way. You can read about that as you read Pilgrim's Progress. But Christian continued to go up the hill because it was the narrow way. It appeared that he had been reduced from running to walking, from walking to clambering on his hands and knees because of the steepness of the incline. Now about halfway up the hill was a pleasant, I love the word, arbor, a shady place provided by the Lord of the hill for the refreshment of weary travelers. Brothers and sisters, our lives are full of hill difficulties. Whether it be school, whether it be home, whether it be parenting, whether it be homeschooling or being a soccer mom, shuttling the children around, work responsibilities in which we are working even more than we did in past years. In some cases from New York, we have men who work three jobs and still honor their Lord's Day convictions just so they can pay the bills. This is the real real world and California is of course just as hectic and I cannot impress upon you enough uh, that while Christian's going to be rebuked for resting a little bit too much and we can touch on that in a moment there is an immense need for rest along the way and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning rest along the way now just a little note uh, Christian has a scroll I think this is one of the most brilliant insights by Bunyan now, the scroll that was given to him when he was converted is essentially a scroll of two things. Um, one is it, it's, it's a record of, of God's goodness to Christian. The other part of it is it's a record of his works born of faith, not as the ground of his salvation, but the evidence of his salvation. And Christian would take out the scroll, it'll be referred to in the next section as well, and would use it to encourage him. And this is how prescient, how forward-looking Bunyan was. One of the disciplines that's being revived today, and I must confess I don't do it, I don't, I don't have the time to do it, and, uh, but I, I appreciate those who do, is journaling in which people will write down in their journal things that God had done for them that day or that week or whatever, and, and also just the things that show in their lives uh, that God really has done a work of grace in them, their joy in, in, in taking things that were once just encumbrances to them and they become a delight to them and commenting on the joyful freedom they have in Christ, whatever it would be, and chronicling these things and then going back to these things for encouragement. That's the scroll. And the scroll will have a place at the very end of the book uh, where, where, where uh, to anticipate it, where 
Christian sees this scroll as it was from God's perspective, in which from God's perspective he sees clearly what he didn't see in the earth, that God was at work in all of these different things. And so the scroll is a, is a fascinating concept into Bunyan's brilliance. I guess the nearest you'd have to it would be, here I raise mine Ebenezer. Hitherto has the Lord helped us. Okay, let's, let's take a look at, at rest, okay? Um, what I want to do, I want to deal with you, see this in your outline, I want to deal with you about the requirement of rest and then the reward for rest and then take a little moment to deal with its risk and resolving the seeming conflict. See, the Bible, um, for, for, with all due respect to those who don't like paradox, seeming contradiction, the Bible is full of it because we're dealing with a God who's infinitely above us. I mean, the classic example is the Trinity, three persons, one God. And, and it bothers people. You know, it, 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 well, when you're dealing with the infinite God, you're going to deal with, with paradoxes. And, and here's one in the scriptures. On the one hand, the word of God says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and let us keep alert. On the other hand, the Bible says, and the older you get, the more you appreciate this. And moms, you want to appreciate this. I always love to say this when, a, when after a mom has a baby, you visit them in the hospital. Remember, the Lord gives his beloved sleep. And, and so how do you, you know, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and keep sober, actually. And then the Lord gives his beloved sleep. How do you put those things together? Well, we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. Okay, let's deal with the requirement of rest, because we all have our hill difficulties. See, the Bible says, don't become weary in well-doing, for in due season you'll reap if you don't faint. Don't become weary in well-doing. And when you and I, over an extended period, you know, people have said here, you know, you must be exhausted in what you do, and I am. I mean, I don't even know what my own name is, let alone yours. But, but this is a, I know this is a period of work. There's also been a planned in, a God willing, a period of rest. Because if the Bible says don't become weary, then it means you've got to do something so that you, you keep your alertness and keep your energy, okay? So, so don't become weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't faint. And now you face a world of thorns and of thistles and of sweat and of tears and of labors and of griefs and of sorrows. That's this world in which we live. Now, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 103. This, this is the compassion of your God. And see, see, our problem is we think we're more than this, okay? Psalm, Psalm 103 in verse 14, very common when ministers uh, give an assurance of pardon, they'll refer to this. Um, after it speaks of the Lord's compassion, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are but dust. And see, our problem is we think we're more than that, okay? And, but the Lord knows our frame, that we are but dust. The others, certainly Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, 
all you who labor and are heavy laden. And that doesn't just refer to spiritual heavy ladenness, as Christian had with a burden on his back. It refers to people who are weary and they're heavy laden. You get tired in this world. Come to me, all you who labor, work hard, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And see, we'll come to the Lord, but we'll miss the ways he really does give us rest. And the other, since you're in the Psalms, is Psalm 127 and verses 1 and 2. And that will kick us into the requirement for rest, Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We are to labor. Right? Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. But we are to watch. It's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. The heart, if I work harder, if I really stay up another hour, if I really do a greater batch of emails, if I really do, then, then the Lord will really work. Sorry, folks, that's not a biblical view of grace. It is vain for you, which means puff of air, like Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It's vain that you rise up early and go late to race. Doesn't mean there's not going to be, I get up early for this, but I don't trust in that, at least I work not to. Eating the bread of anxious soil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And here's what I want to impress upon you. Grace usually comes in packages. Grace is not God pulling a string on a marionette. Grace usually comes in packages. Classic example, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, grace came in the package of very generous givers to those in Jerusalem who were needy. That was a grace. I want to impress upon you that these things we're going to mention are gifts of God's grace, and they're the grace of rest. Daily, more and more you hear something. And remember, the, the realm of nature, folks, grace is not at war with nature. Grace is at war with sin. And even in the natural realm, you are hearing every day WebMD or the latest studies. They spend a fortune for these studies that you don't need to do because it's pretty obvious that these certain things are true. We need a whole lot more sleep than we get. And no, you may think you can only get by on three or four hours of sleep. It's not going to last. You'll pay for that eventually. You are in need, and I am in need daily, as Christian was, as Bunyan perceptively noted, of rest daily, whether it's the night's sleep or power naps or whatever it is. But get over the guilt trip that you get eight hours of sleep a night if you do. And if you are really thinking that God's going to bless you more if you just struggle to get by on four hours of sleep, then you repent. And realize that God has given you a body and you're not to tempt the Lord your God and he gives your beloved sleep. And that's not being facetious. Lord, I'm exhausted. <laughs> the gift of grace is sleep. Give me rest. So sleep on a daily basis. And then weekly, we'll touch on this more the next time, the Sabbath. The Sabbath is one of God's greatest, greatest mercies to us. And when people look at the Sabbath in terms of, and by that I mean the Lord's Day, I call it the Lord's Day Sabbath, 
because then people think you're, you know, New York, when you prefer the Sabbath, they think you're an Orthodox Jew. So I always talk about the Lord's Day Sabbath. But I love the word Sabbath. Sabbath means rest. And not to honor the Lord's Day Sabbath is to forsake one of your greatest mercies. Why? The Sabbath day is a reality check. It's a reality check when we cease from our regular weekly labors to realize it's not because of our labors that we have what we have. God works through those things and with those things, but God's the one who provides for us. And to stop and rest from our weekly labor is a reminder to us that, that God is the one building the house. That's one reason. The second, the worship aspect of the Sabbath that we'll deal with the next, in the next section and under Palace Beautiful. Do you know what that is? That's a reality check. For six days out of the week, people are living, and, and this is exactly what it is, in a fool's paradise. They really think that their corporate world and the merger and the money that they make and the acquisitions and their increasing money and their mutual funds, that that's the real world, and it isn't. Because one day, it's all going to burn up. It's relatively important, certainly, to provide for a family, but it's not ultimately important. And the Sabbath day makes people stop and realize that in God, we live and move and have our very being. Okay, so it's that. Certainly worship and other things. But here's one that we're weak on. Our standards are not, when you read them carefully, a holy resting all that day does not mean a holy exhausting yourself like you do the other six days of the week. It's resting. Do you folks get naps on the Lord's Day? Do you try to get some physical rest? See, God has given that to us as an arbor, as Christian had when he was going up hill difficulty. So this is the weekly Sabbath, and you need to see that as God's mercy to you. I know it's one of the things with our, with our young people as we've raised them, and, and our young people wrestle with the same issues your, your young people do too. And over the years, uh, more or less with each of them, They've come to see the wonderful benefit of the Sabbath day. Now, when they were younger, they chafed at it in many ways, as, as uh, many of your children do. Now that they're older and they're having to work in the hectic New York environment, they're so thankful for that day of rest, okay? So those disciplines are important. Um, the third area or third requirement for rest, as I mentioned here, is yearly. And you say, well, now, where do you get that from the Bible? Well, I'll give you, I wouldn't have to look at the text. I was teasing the young people last night about practical applications in Leviticus, and I came this morning to be reminded that, that the, the references in the Old Testament to, to days of rest, they were holy days of, of rest and other aspects of worship, but, um, but they were nevertheless different than the Sabbath, and they were days of rest. Leviticus 16 and verse 29. Um, Leviticus 23, and there's a number of references here in verse 7, verse 21, verse 25, verse 28, verse 30. Just read Leviticus 23. Holy days, and some of which the Lord says, cease from your labor and feast. And some of them were more than one day at a time. Some of them would spread out over a week or so. Now, that's not a biblical basis for vacation weeks, but it certainly is a pattern that says there's other time we take off from our labors. And one of the things that I ask ministers, I don't smile when I say it, is, is do you take your vacations? 
And if they don't, I will lovingly exhort them, not rebuke them, but exhort them that they need this if they're going to be in it for the long haul. Chris, I think of you with your home mission zeal, which I think is wonderful. You need that break if you're going to be in it for the long haul. So does your wife, because Megan's got to keep up with you, right? So, and, and, and see, for a lot of Christians, they feel guilty you know, you know, that I'm taking a vacation week. Get over it, folks. Vacations are meant to strengthen us to come back to our work. And yes, there is a biblical precedent in these holy days. And what are holidays? They are secular holy days, okay, in which we take time off and we learn to trust in God's work, not our own. And then I would urge you again to think that eternity is also a rest. And when you have a right view, see, a right view of biblical theology says, among other things, the things of eternity are things that God interposes into history in different ways. You, you are a specimen of eternity. Because when the Holy Spirit indwells you, the Holy Spirit indwells you as the first fruits of heaven, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's a picture of the character of heaven. And when God interposes that in you by the Spirit, it's a, it's a little picture of eternity. Rest is the same, folks. The Sabbath day. I've got a friend of mine. You have mentioned the name. You'd know him, but he was in Edinburgh, Scotland, and they had gone to a Free Church of Scotland congregation on the Lord's Day, and 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 these these two people are exuberant in the Lord's Day. They came out and he said, you know, in Edinburgh, um, you have to have stone benches in Edinburgh, Scotland. Anything else would seem very carnal. You don't want to be very car. You don't want to be very comfortable in Scotland when you sit down because someone would think that you're being worldly. So there are stone benches, and uh, this minister and his wife came and said, oh, isn't it a beautiful, glorious Sabbath day? And the Scottish lady sitting next to them said, I and will pay for it too. <laughs> and that's the way we often are about the Lord's Day. What is the Lord's Day? It's a foretaste of eternity, folks. You're feasting. Don't, don't say you eat in your houses. You feast in your houses. Your feasts are foretastes of the feasts of glory. And when you read the word of God, why do you do that? Because in eternity, we're going to be in the presence of the God who gave us this word. And, and the physical rest, I don't know how in glory you're going to be resting and working at the same time, but we can't do that here that way. And so along with our regular work, we have a time of rest on the Lord's day. Why is that so important? Our eternity will be a rest. Why is worship so important? Because we're in the presence of God in a special way, and he meets with See, so, so make the Sabbath day to be a foretaste of eternity. So thank God for these arbors. Let me ask you if you have them. Seriously, all four of these work on as part of your sanctification where you got the packages of grace. Now, here's, here's the reward. Um, oh, and incidentally, on the Sabbath, a book, it, the theology is terrible, but at least the theology of the Sabbath. But the practical outworking is fascinating. Matthew Sleeth, S-L-E-A-T-H, Dr. Matthew Sleeth, S-L-E-A-T-H, 24-6. He's not, certainly not reformed in his view of the Sabbath, if anything else. 
But from a medical perspective, he draws out the importance of not going 24-7. His book is 24-6. Uh, implications of that and outworkings of it that we can draw from. Anyway, um, but he talks about the reward of the Sabbath and basically can summarize it this way. Number one, you'll live, humanly speaking, you, you, you'll live longer. And as I mentioned last night, folks, you, don't, don't, don't say this. I will live for as long as God has decreed. Pray tell, what have you told me? God says that in his word. I know God is sovereign. But how do you, do you live responsibly each day? You don't live out of God's decree. Do you live responsibly taking care for your body and, and giving rest? Humanly speaking, you get rest and you will live longer. It's a proven that you will live longer. And if you want to see your children's children blessed, then we desire to live with length of days, right? Okay, so you'll live longer. And second, you will live better. You will live better when you get rest. Scientifically, it is proven that if you get more sleep, you will be about 25, at least 25% more efficient the next day in your thinking and in your work and not flubbing up on things because you're tired. You'll be at least 25% more efficient than if you got less sleep. So don't fool yourself. I mean, this, folk, this is an aspect of the outworking of our faith. Because when you think about it, you and I just utterly, completely exhausting ourselves, thinking that's the only way we're going to receive the blessing of God, is in fact tempting the Lord our God. Now you've got to balance things out. You know, you know you've got work responsibilities. Maybe I can get a little bit less sleep tonight. And thankfully, the way our bodies are made, you can actually make up sleep over time. So thankful for that in the ministry. But, but, but you plan those times, okay? Um, and, and this excellent article, you know, rarely do I quote the Huffington Post. The Huffington Puffington but every so often, <laughs> the Huffington Post has some interesting things. This was an article by Dennis Merritt Jones. I have no idea who Dennis Merritt Jones is. But he has this article, Taking Rest is Wisdom for the Ages. Now, skip the theology here. Don't listen. This is, you know, the Orthodox Presbyterians wanting to be sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Just listen for, you know, the children of this age are shrewder in their generation than the children of light. Even your own poets have told you. So he quotes Ovid, the Greek poet. Take rest. A field that has rested gives a bountiful crop. I know he's a pagan, but he lived in God's world, right? And, and the, the author writes, I love the quote above from the ancient Roman Ovid. He reminds us that for millennia, farmers have known that every so often they must allow a field to rest or go fallow between plantings. Fallow land is that which has undergone plowing and harrowing and has been purposely left unseeded for one or more growing seasons so the soil can rest and regenerate the minerals and other elements needed to grow vital productive crops. Metaphorically speaking, our growing field is our mind and our body, and we would add our soul. It's no secret that how well they work together in the creative process to produce a life of purpose and meaning depends in part on how well rested they are. Our mind and our body and our soul both need appropriate time outs if we expect them to produce a vibrant and productive life. 
And now the author goes on. Having just returned home from a very rewarding but rather exhausting event I presented on the East Coast, I can personally relate with the necessity of giving oneself time to regenerate between all the things we do to be, quote-unquote, productive in our daily lives. And incidentally, that kind of productivity... I know the Bible does speak of making, of redeeming the time because the days are evil, but the, but the lust for productivity is something that is, is, is not unique to our culture, but, but it, is, it is, is precious rare in the world, and productivity is not necessarily next to godliness. But anyway, to be productive in our daily lives, between hotel beds, early morning flights, restaurant food, long work days, and jet lag, I came home feeling totally exhausted, totally toasted, he said. I gave myself the gift of sleeping nearly 12 hours last night, and it was incredibly rejuvenating, and while I still have a long to-do list, I am taking an intentional time out today to be with my wife, whom I have seen very little of as of late. I'm certainly not complaining about the life that I've chosen because I love it. I share this in part as a reminder to myself about how important it is to take rest. I figure if I need to hear it, perhaps others may as well. No doubt, it can be challenging to carve out time to rest when our plate is always so full. Many of us are so busy doing whatever it takes to keep all the balls bouncing that we fail to even notice how depleted we are becoming until the wheels begin to fall off our wagon and something forces us to stop. In other words, if we ignore the need to purposely allow our field, quote-unquote, to occasionally go fallow, the universe will implement provisions that will force us to stop and take rest. Those provisions go progressively by many names, such as lethargy, malaise, burnout, breakdown, disease, and if ignored long enough, death. Point. Healthy living things need time to regenerate. From a spiritual perspective, and I don't believe he's a Christian, but you know we all speak about spirituality, when we give ourselves the gift of intentional and proactive timeouts to regenerate, we are in a sense inviting the sacred presence within, as he puts it, to replenish the creative soil of our mind and body with the life force needed to nurture the seeds that contain within them a life worth living. How well are you doing at taking rest when it's required? Sometimes it boils down to making choices that require eliminating some things to maintain other things. Prioritizing can be a life-saving practice when done regularly and mindfully. It's easy to overcommit ourselves to doing far too many things, and in the end, everything and everyone involved gets shortchanged, including ourselves. The desire to want to do everything for everyone all the time, and of course Christians can, can fall into this, okay? can be a dangerous trap that leaves us feeling depleted and in some cases even resentful. And I know this is a sore spot. Too many churches have too much stuff going on in a week. We do this on Monday night, we do this on Tuesday night, we do this on Wednesday night, we do these things on Thursday night. If, if, you're, in, if you're in that kind of hamster cage, your children are going to get very resentful after a while. And my first rather extensive dealing with young people when I was in, actually still in college and working with young people was in home after home after home where the kids resented church because they were out all the time for one thing or another. And no, it didn't breed a high view of church. 
It bred a, it, it bred a dim view of Christianity. And especially in our day, you know, a good thing for elders to do is assess what you're doing in church life. You really need to keep doing it. We've always had a women's missionary society. Well, maybe you need to ditch it and come up with something better that's less demanding or whatever it would be, okay? Uh, but, but that's what he's getting. Anyway, he says, suffice it to say that trying to grow a balanced, healthy, joyful, and productive life in a field that has not been allowed to go fallow for a time is, no pun intended, fruitless. May you draw from the wisdom of Ovid and the farmers from antiquity to modern times, and I would say ultimately from God himself, and take rest when you need to. Your life's crop will be far more bountiful and beautiful, and the good news is you'll be around to enjoy the harvest. And uh, so from the Huffington Post. Book recommendation, although I, I, I don't like to recommend books I haven't read, but I know David Murray, and I know I can recommend my good brother's book, uh, but others have mentioned it, Reset, Reset by David Murray, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture, and his topics, and I've started it, actually, um, except I was too tired to read much of it on the plane coming out, so I rested. David Murray would be pleased. Um, reality check, review, rest, recreate, relax, rethink, reduce, refuel, relate, and resurrection. But uh, the book, Reset. Now, a word to ruling elders. And the pastors in this room did not pay me to say this. But too many churches have paid the hard way because I haven't listened to this. Your pastors are not supermen. There are very few, if any, callings, if when taken seriously, you've got to take the ministry seriously, that are more exhausting than pastoral ministry. The Apostle Paul said, I would more rather spend and be spent for your souls. Spending is giving what you got. Being spent is giving what you don't got. But you can only do that for so long. And I'm thankful to the Lord. It's not too many cases that I've heard like this, but one or two or three is too many. Ruling elders who have said, we saw that our minister was exhausted. We noted that he wasn't taking his day off or he didn't take his vacations. He wasn't spending time with his family. And then he had a breakdown. Ruling elders, I love you when I say this. If when you meet with your pastor, you don't regularly ask him about his day off, his vacation, and perhaps even suggesting to him a sabbatical, you are not being faithful to our standard that tells us in our own book of church order rightly, you're to encourage and help the minister in his labors. And I, for one, as much as I appreciate our heritage as a church, and I do, I can't stand it when some people say, our minister never took a vacation. The devil doesn't take a vacation. Excuse me, the devil's a disembodied spirit. And maybe your minister would have had more longevity if he had taken a break. And even if I want to grant that, those ministers were not working in the pressure cooker culture that we're in today. And I go even further, and then I'll go to the next part here. 
If your minister has been laboring seven, eight, nine, ten years, and he hasn't gotten a sabbatical, my dear fellow elder, you make steps so he can get one. I had labored in Franklin Square for 15 years, and I finally had to bring this up. And thank, I'm so, so thankful that our elders actually, I don't know if they asked forgiveness, but they at least apologized that they hadn't brought this up. And I finally was able to get, after 15 years, about a three-month sabbatical. And it took me, uh, first Sunday I was free, I slept for three hours in the afternoon. And yet we missed evening worship. Because Margaret said it's far more important you get your rest and you do that. And they were, I realized how exhausted I was, folks. And so, so please, please, it's important you get this rest. Okay. What time are we going right, let's, let's now. Okay, let's talk about the risk. Okay, now that I've done all of this. The risk. See, uh, technically, there are dangers that can come now from an overly realized eschatology. Ah, eternity is a rest. Wow, am I going to get a lot of rest this side of glory so I can live with realized eschatology? All right, now let's balance it all out. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verses 1 through 11. Because I told you, this is a conundrum, right? First Thessalonians 5 and verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. It's always interesting. He says you have no need to have anything written to you, but then he writes about it. But you can figure out why it's put like that. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And now when Christian is rebuked for his oversleeping, it's, this is the kind of context that's given here in Pilgrim's Progress. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Incidentally, just parenthetically, but it's kind of alluded to here. Um, remember that every Augustine uh, dealt with this so beautifully, and especially in his commentary on the Psalms. You realize that everything that God has put in the natural world is a picture of something in eternity. Uh, see, God decreed an eternity in which his son will be glorified and redeem people. And, and, and everything that, that he ordained, planned for this created world uh, is meant to be in some way an image of it. What is sleep? Well, among other things, sleep is a reminder every day that one day we're going to die. And that's why the Bible is calls for the Christian. It is sleep in Christ. Okay, so 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 that, that so sleep is designed to be a statement to the world uh, that we are um, that that we are going to die one day. But we sleep in Christ, and when we awake, see it's a picture of of the resurrection. Anyway, okay, so 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 this is the you know we're not supposed to sleep as others do. Why? Because folks, we're in a war. Uh, that's the other side of rest. We're in a war, we're in a battle, and that's why we don't sleep as others do. 
And it is easy on the other side of things to become lazy in your Christian life and forget that we are in a war. If soldiers become lazy on the battlefield, you can ask Bob Cooey, they will get killed. And if we begin to think more that we're in a wartime economy, that will give a framework to what we're dealing with, even our rest, because soldiers have got to get rest too. But they rest that they might go back to battle. You can become lazy in your Christian life, but you, you, your sleep, the sleep that you get, is, is a sleep that should always strengthen you to go back to the battles. Okay, so you can become lazy, and these are the three things, the risk. You become lazy in your Christian life. You can begin to sleep toward God and his works on your behalf. See, for some people, retirement is this. I put in my years of service in church life, and I don't need to do that anymore. I don't see that in the scriptures. You can cut back. We're supposed to the Lord knows our frame, that we are but dust, and we can't do what we did before, then none of that. But I'm sorry, there are some that begin to sleep. The risk, second risk, you sleep toward God and his works on your behalf. The Bible calls that darkness. And here's the third thing. You lose, you lose your scroll, okay? You, you, you lose that sense of what God is doing each day in general in your life and how he's working inside of you. And those are all risks. And that, for that, you need to wake up, strengthen what remains, and press on uh, to complete the work God has for you. And, and remember, in each stage in life, there's different things that God gives for you to do and think like that. I, for some of you, for some of us, retirement, and I'm not retired, uh, but it, retired from my pastoral work, it's a time for me to do something that I've loved doing. I love radio. I love radio work. I've done it since I was a teenager. And, and, and for, for some of you who are in the secular realm, there may be certain things you've wanted to do all of your life. I would love to go to Uganda and help out in Mbale with the field and help a Bob Wright and the laborers or I guess the replacement they'll be getting for him or, or even teaching English as a second language and just going to encourage young. I don't know what it would be. Uh, but but taking some time to, to do things, thinking of your life as chapters may be helpful. Okay, so let's bring all this together and we'll give you a break, okay? How do you resolve this rest that we need to get and yet we continue to labor? Rest, brothers and sisters, with a good conscience so that you might love God more and serve him better. Rest with a good conscience so that you might love God more and serve him better. Now, how you work that out in your situation is between you and the Lord, within your family, but always rest with a good conscience so that you might love God more and serve him better. And I guess the simple thing is if you go a period of time and when you wake up in the morning and you say, oh, brother, I've got to do this again, then you need to make some changes. So that when you get up in the morning, bleary-eyed, as I did this morning early, as tired as you are, I say, what a privilege to serve the Lord today. Okay? So that's part of the resolution. The second is do that. Do that rest in the way that is best for you, always under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
beloved brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, you have no Lord except Christ by his word. And if you need to get a nap every afternoon, as I do most afternoons, and somebody says to you, I don't need to get a nap. Well, well praise the Lord for the way God made you. He made me differently, and I need to get a nap. And don't feel guilty about it. And if you need to get those nine hours of sleep at night, one of the great things you can do your help to do, get rid of your television. That's not a command. It's a real good practical suggestion. Save money. We had a, we had, I, I can't stand television. I don't like television at all. And the medium, I like radio. We had a fellow that came to our house one day, and we had gotten, was it Verizon Fios? Verizon Fios, which is the best for the work that I do. And we only got the, what was it, the phone lines and the computer, whatever the thing was, and, and uh, so an internet service. So this fellow came to the door one day, and, and he had his clipboard. He said, Mr. Shishko, we noticed that you have just signed up for Verizon Fios, and we're thankful for that. And I'm saying to myself, come on, get to the real reason you're here. You want me to buy something. And, and he says, now, he says, um, we noticed that you don't have television. I said, that's right. And he said, well, well he, he said, you've got three packages. You, you've got one where you get, what is it, 12 channels or something, and then the other where you got, like, 74 channels, and the others like 385 channels. And I'm saying to myself, I know God created the world in six days of ordinary length, and um, we, don't, we still function in that way. And I was going to ask him, but I was nice. I didn't. I was going to say, can you promise me more hours in the day if I get these 300 channels? And he's, he's giving me the spiel. He was, was a pleasant fellow. I liked him. And I can, every so often, I do have spasms of kindness dealing with people. And, he, and so he, he, he says to me, he says, and I said, no, I'm really not interested in it. And he says, Mr. Shishko, he says, you don't understand. You can get all these channels. I said, I said, my friend, listen, you don't understand. I really don't like to eat out of a garbage can. And and well, he's very interesting. Oh, he he just he stopped. And here's what he said, literally. He he, he looked. He realized I was a hopeless case. And he, he looked at his clip. He says, "You know, you're you're right. Most of this stuff is junk." <laughs> so you know. So uh, so, so anyway, I'm, I'm teasing. But folks, if you got a TV and you want to waste your money on it, at least turn it off early and get some sleep when you need it. Okay. And so, so you, you do whatever it is to get rest in the way that is best for you, always under the lordship of Christ. And I won't read from Pilgrim's Progress. No, I can do it. It's 20 after. We're going to give you a few more extra minutes. Let's wrap up this section on, on the arbor, okay? So Christian reached this shelter where he then sat down to rest a while. And then he pulled his scroll out of his chest pocket and began to read it for comfort, the chronicle of God's goodness to him and God's work in his life. He also took a fresh look at his new garment, the righteousness of Christ, which was given to him as he stood before the cross. And thus being pleasantly stimulated for a time, he at first snoozed and then fell fast asleep. As a result, he was detained at that place until near sunset, while at the same time his scroll fell out of his hand. Now, as he was sleeping, someone approached and awakened him with a call. Must have been a Scottish Presbyterian. Go to the ant, you sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. 
At this, Christian arose with a jolt and started on his way, racing ahead until he came to the top of the hill. Now he left his scroll, but he'd get it back. But folks, there are times that we need to say to ourselves, go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. But I think for most of us, and it's one, one thing I love with the OPC of the many, we're hard-driven, hard-working folks. Praise the Lord. But remember the same Bible that says, go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise, is the Bible that gave you a Sabbath and says the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Let's pray together. <clears throat> our Father in heaven, it's rare that we, get, that we get time in our culture just to think about resting. Uh, but Lord, the word of God does speak about times away from our work. It does speak of Sabbath days. And it, does, it does speak of sleep. And it speaks of rest. And our Lord, we look forward to our eternal rest when perfect work and perfect rest will be wed together. But we're not in that perfect state yet. We labor and we do sweat and there's thorns and there's toil and there's aging and there's weakness and our bodies are but dust and it's not even glorified dust. And we become weary. And God, remind us that it's part of our orthodoxy to admit that we get tired. Our Lord did. And we pray that you would give us, as our Lord had, even in the midst of hectic work, those strategic withdrawals. Lord, for some of us, if not for all of us, it's going to be the grace to say no to certain things good in themselves, and yet that would be just too much on our plates. And at the same time, we often need to say yes to something that might cause others to look down upon us as somehow becoming lazy in our Christian lives, when really we say yes to the rest that we need just so that we might better serve the Lord. And so, Father, grant us, we pray, wisdom and discernment as we work our way through the issues of rigor and rest and refreshment and serve and rest and be refreshed always to the glory of your blessed name. Amen.